Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. On today's episode, we're going to be talking all about instructor development. Here we go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, we're getting back into it here at the Tactical Breakdown. Excited to be here with you today. We're going to be talking all about instructor development. This is a shorter episode. Again, this was recorded at Ailita uh, in March of 2021. And uh, just excited to get this conversation out there with you today. I was speaking with my friend Mike Masango. If you don't know who Mike is, he was the former director of the Regional Training Academy in Syracuse and is now an instructor for Force Science Institute. He's a wealth of knowledge, especially on this topic, and I'm excited to get a chance to speak with him. And this is some of the concepts that you can expect coming up in the instructor development training programs that are going to be launched on the ILET network and in conjunction with ILETA moving forward. So really excited for that. So stay tuned for more information. So without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Mike and get into it. Here we go. Hey everyone, Adam Kanakin here with ILET Network, sitting at the 2021 ILETA Conference. With me, my friend, Mike Masengo with Force Science, but you're here this week teaching. Mike, thanks for joining me, brother. I appreciate yeah, it's, it. It's great to be here, man. It's a pleasure to see you again. In person for the In first person time. for the first time. You yeah. know, that's that's been a continuous thing this week. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of people that I've sat down with me to do interviews for this, for the podcast, um, that we've done. We've done a lot of the virtual stuff, yeah. right? We've done... Yeah stuff for the Islet Summit, we've done stuff for the podcast, um, and now it's it's nice because we actually get to, you know, sit down in person, have discussions, which is always a lot easier yeah. than the virtual stuff that we've been doing. Um, you're here this week teaching. What is it that you're you're giving, what knowledge are you giving instructors here at Islet this week? Well, the, the course I'm teaching, and I, I'll really call it a course because it's just a few hours of information, you know, um, it's not really set up like a course uh, but it's it's called advanced instructional methods, and my focus really is on uh, trying to get more information as far as empirically based instruction, long-term learning, retention, transfer. I mean, we hear about this now um, when we talk about like block and silo training, and that that's really nice that that's becoming like more common knowledge with trainers now. I just think that people are still struggling on how can they implement some of these changes into their training curriculum, whether it's academy based or in service. And I guess my big point on this one is there's a lot of different ways of doing these different things, but the focus should really come back to the individual instructors themselves and trying to set up a way to deepen their knowledge in in these areas. So uh, that's really where my focus is on. It's on the personal development, individual development of each instructor um, out there because I see a lot of challenges out there. Uh, Part-time instructors that are pushing a car for eight hours a day and then a couple times a year they're tasked with going out and being their head firearms, you know, training guys. There's departments, 20 people in the department, things like that. Um, major departments where it's very difficult to have any type of curriculum change. They're just very boxed in. So when it comes down to it, uh, having ways or at least information, references, what books to look at, what research to look at to fully develop that, that you know, instructor into just becoming more competent and really start being treated like a true professional in their craft. Um, I just think that a lot of people look at whatever a, a, an officer has been tasked with training 
Um, say you're tapped as a firearms person. So that's probably because you're a really good shooter. Um, you got tapped, you end up going to a firearms instructor school where and what I've seen, you do a lot of shooting. Don't do a lot of teaching, don't do a lot of training. You go to maybe an IDC course, which is sometimes you know, a 30, 40, 50, something like that. And now you're approved to go and be an instructor. And I know that those are very basic level courses. They're just the beginning. Uh, a lot of agencies, a lot of places don't allow for any further training because it's not mandated for instructors to keep a certification. Uh, and if they do have some, a lot are just like a box checking type of thing. So what I'm trying to bring um, in is, again, and there's a lot of people doing this stuff. I know there's pockets of great agencies that are doing some amazing, amazing things. And I, I, I love hearing about that. I'd say there's a systemic challenge with trainers are handed curriculum. They're handed things to teach and train officers. They're given a timeline, a small budget, and you know, go forth, sally forth, and be productive and, and, and make sure it works. Uh, and it's just a completely, uh, very unrealistic challenge uh, of, of to get you know people competent in any skill, much less psychomotor skills and everything together. Because when it comes down to those instructors, you're usually good at your domain, but you don't do uh, skill integration, right? So your fire instructor is fire instructor. They're usually not the detail. Now there's changes now, it's different, but not, you don't have training in how to properly integrate these skills. Um, understanding a lot of human factors that go in. So with force science, you're gonna hear me say a lot about human factors and how that plays into the training and how are we training? Not so much what we're training, that, that's, that's a key point, but sometimes we're told what, but how we're doing it, right? brain blueprints, mental schemas, knowing what to look for, when to look for things, uh, those early cues, and really um, highly, uh, a lot of energy and a lot of, um, I would say, concentration going into mindfully constructed scenario-based training. And I think that's really, really a critical element for each trainer to have the ability to do that. And that comes through the study of uh, just a, a deeper end study in like skill acquisition. Yeah, we've had a lot of in-depth discussions offline on the importance of instructors learning how to teach and understanding what, like understanding how human beings learn, how we retain knowledge and information and how every student, you have a, you have a class of 30 students, you have to, ba you're basically teaching the class 30 different ways, depending on who you have in your class. Why is that something that's still kind of left off when we do these instructor training courses, right? I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, in every instructor course, there should be a huge component that is, okay, here's how we can contextualize this training for different types of learners. If you're in the instructor program, we can, we can do a baseline on, hey, you're okay, you're proficient at this, you understand the concept. Now let's teach you how to apply the concept. And I feel like that gets missed a lot. It does, Adam, and, and I still think that we're, if I can use an old term, worn out tools to do that. When we do do it, we're still going back to old models of how to educate, you know, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a vision learner. I learn through vision. I, I learn better in a classroom. I learn better hands-on. It's No, there's no evidence to support that. There's rule learners. There's example learners. There's different ways of, there's other classifications that are empirically supported. Other ones are based more on intuition, and the one thing we know about learning is how we feel we learn best is not usually how we learn best. It's very counterintuitive. Um, when you start looking at um, different ways of priming, uh, boosting, interleaving, spacing, using variation. Um, I study a lot of Dr. Robert Bjork stuff and I think he's just an amazing 
a lot of amazing research out there that's just been empirically supported time and time and time again, and it's just not being used. It's not being utilized. There's ways that we can introduce this into our training experience, um, and it's not most of it is not big budget items. It's a matter of rescheduling. It's a lot of coordination with your instructors and educating your instructors on how to use these methods and strategies to optimize long-term learning, retention, and then transfer on the street. There's an assumption that as we go through these blocks of training in the academy, um, and again, I'll kind of focus on academy because at least you've got somebody for however many months or weeks that your academy is. So if I can focus on that, that's a significant amount of time. What can we do there? Uh, the in-service stuff is a whole different monster. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's just a, it's really tough. Um, but looking at how can you apply that knowledge with your instructors and teach them up on a way that you can schedule training in a way that runs parallel to the evidence, the evidentiary support of long-term learning and transfer. And the deadly assumption is that we go to this training, we go to that training in silo and that training. And then when this incident, whatever it is, this critical incident, if you will, occurs out on the street, you're going to be able to put it all together. And we call it the connective tissue. And we don't focus enough on the connective tissue. We focus on the skills. And the skills are important. I don't mean to downplay those, but understanding how to, how to interleave these things together um, and through training, through scenario-based training, which is not you know three days at the end of the academy, it's constant all the way through. Um, it's mundane calls. It's not knowing when that thing's going to occur because, well, today we're doing active shooters, so we're putting all the gear on, and we know that that's going to happen. You just took away a huge part about that educational experience of what you can transfer on the street, recognizing what's going to happen early enough to do something about it as opposed to, oh, we're going to get into a sim, you know, simulation shooting in about 10 minutes. Um, you know, that's, that really detracts from it, I mean, majorly. We had a, I've had a lot of really interesting conversations this week, especially with the amazing instructors here, a, a lot beyond the science behind learning, how we build out different type of dynamic scenarios and, and things. And one, one conversation that I had was interesting because we ended up talking about how interesting would it be if on the schedule, on the training schedule, we had, okay, we're doing simunition training, like active shooter or something. And the student doesn't know this, but you're not going to go kinetic at all throughout the entire day. Right. right. You get them prep. Every, they think it's just another, like you said, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be putting rounds down range at some point. But the way this scenario is built and plays out is that they're never actually supposed to fire their weapon. Right. right. And then having that discussion, I think that would be just... It, how fascinating would that be to just see the, how that imprints on that officer? Because we know, like, we run them through all these scenarios where it's like, shoot, don't shoot. Um, but because we're already geared up, we're like, okay, well, we want to make sure that we expend all the rounds and we want to make sure we do all this stuff. Yeah, but that's not real life. Right. Right? Right. So why aren't we building in realistic? If we want to talk realistic scenarios, a realistic scenario is 90% of the time, 95% of the time, you're never going to go to a lethal force option right. or, or any kind of extended force option. So I want to I get your opinion on that because I think that's a really interesting concept. That, and that, so it's really critical and it's the heart of it. So one of the things that we're doing and, and hopefully continue to do after I retired at the academy is taking the snare-based training and not putting it at the end but all the way through. And most of the snare-based training is – like your average mundane things. Now, there's a lot of new equipment out there that's really good. The UTM's got the blank barrels. There's other things with compressed where nothing's flying. 
So we can go with just uniforms, right? So there's a safety issue with that. I get that, and that's, there's a whole rabbit hole. I get it right. from firearms background. Um, but there's equipment out there where you can just have them completely without the, without the gear on. Or the option is wear all the time. So if you have, that's what you have, assuming they just don't wear it all the time. But most of their calls are your everyday routine calls. And your scenarios aren't, oh, hey, you guys are, I've, I've seen this so many places, so many times. So uh, you guys are doing scenario number three next, that's a robbery. And it's like, why did you just tell them that? Why, why, why are we saying we're going to active shooter training? We're just going to training, and this stuff is scenario-based training. So you walk in, um, because what that when you just explained was, like, you know, dispatch priming. It's the same thing. You're priming them, and you're already setting their mental models up for what their expectations should be. That's something they should need to be developing on their own. When you look at the difference between their novices and your expert with the eye tracker studies, it's where they're focusing on, their visual focus, their cognitive focus. Obviously, they're running their skills at a high level of automaticity, so now they have a good awareness, a cognitive awareness of what's going on, but they know what to look for, where to look for it. That to me is one of the most critical elements in training officers is being able to get them to get on scene and start processing visual auditory information on what do I have here? What's the game? To use scientific terms from Simon and Newell, it's what's the problem space? I'm going to identify the problem space, the initial state, the goal state, pathway constraints, and how do I get there? What's the most efficient and safe way to get to this place where it's just, it's peace, it's done, and I'm out? Um, and, and that's something that I think that we really need to be doing with recruits and training. And then again, to talk about in-service, you know, pulling people off. And there are some places I just talked to some folks down in Texas, I believe it was Round Rock and they're doing some great things down there. Uh, their head training. I just had a brief conversation, but he's like, we're pulling them off the road. They don't know what scenarios they're getting. And there's a lot of stuff that's just regular stuff, regular stuff. And then they're going back out and every once in a while they have to pick up on, oh, this is a use of force or, oh, this is a de-escalation communication type drill. And they're doing that. Or they'll have a drill start one way and then shift. Notice the shift. That's a huge one, too, uh, as opposed to just, hey, we're doing this training today. Here's your gear. Here you go. And, you know, a good instructor standing there with well intentions, giving like, okay, check the box on key point indicators. Okay, they gave commands. They fired at least and hit at least twice, whatever. Okay. Everybody's got their little checklist that they do, and then they give feedback. And that's another critical element that, when it comes to law enforcement training, unless you've done, unless you come from a great place, one of these pockets that are doing great things, or you've decided to take this on as just a personal craft hobby, I need to get better at this because I want to sleep at night. I don't want regrets, which I think is my motivator. <laughs> but it's like, I need to study this. There's so much to learn about in the areas of feedback, feedback bandwidth, feedback specificity, how you, again, which is really counterintuitive to what I've done for years, thinking I was doing great on the range and as an instructor, pay close attention to a shooter, give them immediate feedback, and I'm working with them. I get my instructors motivated to do the same thing. It's like, we care because we do. We're not making this up. And then realizing that that feedback we're giving them is immediate. It's not delayed. It's not, we're not pulling back on it. It's just, it's constant. And it's causing GPS mapping issues with their performance, which I've never even like heard of. And that's just a, a term they use. But there's a reliance on that feedback as far as their inherent, their inherent learning is stunted. Um, and then you go back and it's like, why is it taking over 25 years of law enforcement training to start realizing these things? And they've been around for a while. Uh, human error, the study of human error, skill-based errors, rule-based errors, knowledge-based errors, uh, how we do their, or just that processing, that approach to processing information. I've, when I got done looking at that and studying that, because I helped teach that section for forest science, I've never looked at building a scenario the same way again. 
when you're looking at things that you are creating errors in your design of your scenario or your role player consistencies or inconsistencies. Now, if they're there or you can anticipate them being there, that's okay. You know they're there. You place them there on purpose. Um, but when you start seeing things occur and you're going, what's wrong with this recruit or this, this cop? They're not getting it. You can start looking at it through better lenses. You can look at it through a, a type of error that is a skill-based error. It's, an, it's, 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 it's something they're running at automaticity. They had a confusion on something. Um, where is their cognition going? Their cognitive control versus their automaticity. Where are they playing? What's their competency level with each thing they do? Um, it's, it, it's another area where, again, you don't normally see this in regular uh, instructor development training or even like master instructor development. Usually master instructor is you just spend more hours in the classroom doing PowerPoint keynotes and doing reading a lot of slides and boring a lot of people <clears throat> with great information, but it's ineffective. You know what? It, it's interesting. That's a great topic to discuss because we talk about continual learning for instructors. We've all seen those courses where <clears throat> somebody will be running a scenario, officer does something incorrect, and the instructor, <clears throat> through I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume no fault of their own, that they just don't have enough knowledge base to understand what actually happened. They just say, okay, do it again. Right. Without actually identifying why that student just did what they did, and then coaching and correcting and, and, and getting them to understand why it is that we're going to do it again, but in a different context. Right. But the instructor doesn't have that knowledge base. And that's, and I find that that's kind of like when I started, that was the thing. It's like, why I'm like, I was always questioning, like watching these other instructors doing these scenarios. And I'm like, well, aren't you, why are we running it again? Like, obviously there was a failure. Why aren't we talking about that? Well, we just got to get them through. Yeah. Well, then what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the beautiful thing I think about Aelita and you'll see, you'll walk into a class and the constant like thirst for knowledge from the high level of instructors that are here, it's you're all, like, you and I talk about this all the time. Like we're throwing like, Hey, have you checked out this book? No. Okay. Re have you checked yeah. out this? Oh, Read yeah. the and it's, it's because it's like, you're always <laughs> wanting to improve because we know what the very real consequence is, is if that we can't do our job correctly and what happens when that officer goes out on the street. Right. Like that's, I, I, that's one thing that I love about this, this conference is that you can sit in there and you see hundreds, if not thousands of hours of training experience sitting and learning mm -hmm. yep. from yep. one of their peers. I think that's something that you can't really replicate. I think it's just really cool. And this is really the forum for it because, you know, after hours when we're just kind of hanging out, you know, just little casual conversations at the bar or whatever and looking at other instructors, they're getting this stuff and we're just, you know, yeah, right. You know, you get it, you get it. And, you know, I always ask those questions like all your experience that you have on this job, all this depth that you have in, in training and understanding and how to work with them. Did you get it through a formatted training or did you do it on your own? And, and most of the time it's because they have a passion for it. They've got a thick library at home and they focus on taking something and applying it. And that's a critical element. Take something can I apply it? How can I apply it in my domain, in someone else's domain? How do I pass this on to my other instructors? How can I get them to use this as opposed to just running another, you know, whatever PowerPoint or something? Because, you know, when it comes to training, I, I also look at like two, two, two veins. And <clears throat> what I'm here talking about, and I don't want to ignore 
that part about the, the instructor efficacy, just being able to connect with people. So uh, we do focus on that, I think, a lot in conversations, like, hey, how do you connect with people in a classroom? Mm-hmm. So it's an important component. I mean, if you're going to start doing, like, uh, knowledge-based stuff in a classroom, yeah, you got to dance. you got to be able to get into their heads. you got to be able to get them to want to be trained. And there's that can be really tricky, depending on your, you know, your skill set disparity, your audience, topic i mean it's a little bit different when we're talking about the fun stuff to when we're talking about the stuff that a lot of officers are like you know the old eye roll here we go again and that that can be a really big challenge so that's one part of it again that we talk about but i think that we leave it at that it's like hey i can do these things in the classroom and then i do some exercises great do some exercises do some group work do some uh, uh learning team things in the classroom and those are really good and then they go home and boom, it's done. So there's a lot of things you can do there, but there's also a lot of things you can do, offline modulators and things you can do after. And then there's, when it comes to psychomotor skill training and skill integration simulation training, um, instructors, I got, you know, I always say, I'm just so, I get, I got frustrated because of the things I didn't know I didn't know. And it took so long to get it and I had to get it while I'm reading books and talking to other instructors. And it's like, this research is not brand new. It's been around, why are we not using why are we not driving our, our programs around this? It's strongly empirically su- supported. You know, hundreds and hundreds of research articles from seminal studies from back in the day with, you know, Shane Morgan and things like that, all the way to the stuff now. And, you know, for science research, obviously, that's just directed strictly for law enforcement. But it's basic human factors. It's like, why aren't we using these things? At least getting our instructors knowledgeable about all of this information so when they can buy a little bit more time in their programs, maybe they get an administration that focuses on training a little bit more, they're ready to go. They know what they want to do. They know what they can take and uh, use the most efficiency with their time. And like I said, that's something that uh, I really focused on with some really great folks back in my uh, academy, uh, my academy staff and the part-time instructors that came in. Um, without them, it wouldn't happen. But we did some pretty neat stuff around the, the science of learning, if you will, um, and, and how we structure things. So. My question, before, before I kick you loose, I have a question for instructors that are listening to this, that are hearing a lot of terminology that we've, we've discussed. It's, for you and I, it's, it's commonplace because we have the discussion all the time. There's, but there's instructors that are listening to this um, or even potentially just officers that are like, maybe I want to get into, you know, being an instructor with our agency or with our academy. Um, where's a good starting point? Because... As you and I know, I mean, it's great once you're in the once you're in the game, and you, there's a lot of resources there available to you if you know where to find them. But if you if you're not if you don't know about it, how are you supposed to get it? So, for for your perspective, where is it that young instructors? What is that first steps that they should be taking to make sure that they're going to be doing this correctly? Contact me <laughs> again okay no get get all the people that you know are, are are doing stuff they're working hard and doing this get a hold of them and what i can say is ask them for their reading list ask them for their references i get that more than anything when i teach i don't you know it's contact like hey can i learn more about attention it's like hey what's your reading list i get it all the time hey give me your top 10 mike what do you got and i've got a thing that i'll i just shoot them like the, the class i'm teaching here i don't have handouts but i've got a site they just hit the tab and it's got all the research all the references the top books that I found, but again, there's so much out there, depending on what you're training. Motor Learning and Performance uh, by Schmidt and Lee is a great place to start um, because it gets into block and interleave spacing, so it touches enough on that. 
and psychomotor skills. It's not made for law enforcement, it's more sports, um, but there's a lot of things that run parallel. That's a great book. It's one of the textbooks for our advanced specialist course for, for science. Um, the other one is um, Perception, Cognition, Decision Training by Joan Vickers. They went out of print, but uh, Dr. Lewinsky got on the phone and, and, and got them to go back into the print process again. Uh, Dr. Vickers retired recently, so that is also an amazing book. That's one of our textbooks. Um, but those, for an instructor that doesn't have, say, the resources to go and put in for a you know, major training class or budgets are tight, but I want to start building on my own, start with some of the textbooks, look at some of the research on there, psychomotor skills. I mean, I was a gun guy. Gun guy is like looking at gun stuff. It's like I had to get away from that. Looking at research, there's one uh, recent one, Beyond Automaticity. So if you're reading, look that one up. It's Patria and Milopoulos. It's, it's a great research article that talks about the balance between automaticity and cognitive control. And when you're talking about teaching motor skills, man, you need to know this stuff. It isn't just like, uh, this one gets it, this one doesn't. They need more work. Do it again, do it again, do it again. No. You know, understand what about inherent learning and augmented feedback and all, all those types of things that, that you can now bring into your toolbox. You got better tools. You got sharper tools to go at that. When I see somebody having issues with something, it's they're still putting their cognitive, it's about attention, and they're putting it back into the motor skill or they're having to do that under stress when we throw them in a scenario. I know what's going on. They're not running that motor skill at the level of automaticity. Their cognition is going here, but an instructor is just looking at, why did you make that decision? No, let's go back and talk about what did you see? What did you hear? What did you feel? Heart's beating in my chest. Very characteristic of an internal focus of attention. When you're focused internally, it's very difficult to start picking up on external cues from the environment. It's a different way to articulate and understand these things. Um, a lot of this research, and I know I'm throwing out a lot of terms out there in books, uh, unfortunately, fortunately for them, but unfortunately at the time, I recruits read all this stuff that was part of their program at night. They weren't, their homework wasn't, you know, just reading laws. They were reading research on human factors. They were reading research on automaticity, motor control, motor schemas, things like that. Um, they also had homework watching the round table and picking up those great, I mean, I think we were the only academy on there as an assignment, but yeah. you've got a room full of knowledgeable instructors. I want my recruits to experience that for three hours. What? Sit back, you know, relax, have a smoothie, have a beer, whatever it is. Watch this. Take this in. You know, come in the next day. We don't just watch it for three hours. Come in the next day, and they had questions. Let me know. What did you think? What did you like? What did you not like? What was new? You know, get those into conversation. Build those into some type of application. How could what Tony Bauer was saying apply to you? You know, on the street, could you could you predict that? What he was saying did it make sense? What you know, things like that. Bring those conversations out, and that's all part of that learning process. Is take whatever it is you're giving them and start applying it and using it in a way that's constructive. They find utility in it and they can use it in their world. That's gonna get sticky in their brain and that's gonna have a higher chance of them being able to utilize that sometime down the road, which is our ultimate goal. Transfer is the ultimate goal. Take everything in the learning atmosphere and when this thing that they've never experienced before occurs, they know how to process it and get through it and problem solve in you know, at least the best way they can, right? So that's, that's kind of the goal. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I think the one commonality, um, and you just touched on it, is that people think that these super high-level instructors are kind of out of reach. Yeah. How do I how do I learn from Alon Bartel or a Bill Lewinsky or a Mike Musango or Tony Blau or a Gary Klugwitz? Pick up the phone and call them because I know every single per every person that's come on our podcast, we're we're here to help. We're here to share. Yeah. Like. 
don't be afraid to, to reach out and, and reach out to that person. You're like, I need to learn. You know what? Yeah, don't expect for them to be able to jump on a call and talk with you for four hours. But at least they can help guide you, give you some tips to, to move along and, and to learn. And, and so um, I really appreciate you taking the time and joining me today, oh, man. It's, it's all my pleasure. It's an it's honor. A, yeah, man, this is tons of fun. I can't yeah. wait to do it again soon. And uh, I know I'm going to be coming down and, and, and trying to get hands-on with you guys at Force Science very quickly and Good. get more of your guys' stuff out there because it's so perfect. So yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Adam. Doing great things, man. I'm happy to be here. So awesome. Join the Islet Network now. Go to islet.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network.